0: Welcome back to Pod is a Woman, an honest, unfiltered conversation about the current state of politics and pop culture from three veterans of the Obama White House, who also happen to be friends. I'm Alejandra. I'm Darian. And I'm Johanna. And for this, the third week of Women's History Month, we are so excited to be joined by Diane von Furstenberg fashion designer, philanthropist, and founder of her global brand, Diane von Furstenberg. Our conversation covers everything from her new book to motherhood and her advocacy work. I unfortunately had an important doctor's appointment for an upcoming surgery at the time of the interview. So Johanna and Darian took the lead. Without further ado, let's get right to Diane.
1: Diane von Furstenberg is a fashion designer, philanthropist, and founder of her global brand, DVF. Her iconic wrap dress became a symbol of power and independence for women. She was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame for her leadership and achievements, which have changed the course of history. She's written several books, including Diane, A Signature Life, and The Woman I Wanted to Be. And now her latest new release, Own It, The Secret to Life. Diane, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you. Thank you very
1: much. We are so thrilled. I have to tell you, my first grown-up dress purchase was one of yours. And so this is an incredible honor for me to be talking to you today.
2: And what did it do?
1: I just started working at the White House, and I was looking for something that showed that I could handle this new role, and it was the perfect black wrap dress. It was gorgeous.
2: Oh, great, great! That was under the Obama. Corner? It was under
1: the Obama White House. We started in. I started in 2009. I came in with the um, administration, and I was the president's receptionist.
2: Really? I was. Oh, that was a great White House.
1: Oh, my goodness, it was. I don't think
2: there's ever going to be another White House like that. I went to the White House for the last party there. Mm hmm. Such a fun party. (laughs) And I left there and I said, it's never going to be like this. Never going to have that crowd again in the White House.
1: Well, it was definitely groundbreaking.
3: Yeah, Darian and I started at the beginning of the. Campaign. So I was in Iowa, she was in Chicago, Alejandra as well. Alejandra couldn't join us for the interview because she um, is preparing for a surgery. She has uh, had breast cancer and is a survivor, but all three of us were actually in the Obama White House and it was an incredible journey, but we agree with you. We wanna see more of that change we need. Oh um, my God. In years to come.
2: The inauguration, I was there for the inauguration the mm-hmm. first one. Oh, it was freezing. Uh, <laughs> Cold. Was, I went and Nancy Pelosi had given me because I, she asked me to introduce her at her luncheon that that uh, you know, the democratic lunch. So she had given me great seat on the on the on the terrace of the capitol. Mm-hmm. And I I was in a ski suit. Oh, my
1: <laughs> You had to be. It was, it was freezing. Yeah. It truly was. Well, <laughs> as we talk about Nancy Pelosi and phenomenal women in your new book, Own It, you talk about the incredible connections between the letters of the alphabet and what they mean to us as women. What does the word woman mean to you?
2: We all. Oh, yes, it's the woman across the room. We all look at the woman across the room with admiration at work, in a public place, at a party. She looks so composed, secure, and confident. But it is important to know and remember that to her, each one of us is the woman across the room." And I think that's so important because we all look at others and we think they are so together and they look so poised, they look at you in the same way. And I think, you know, this book is all about, you know, reminding each one of us to reflect on things that will make us feel better about mm-hmm. ourselves. Because mm-hmm. we, all the secret is inside us. All the keys are inside us, right? So, for example, the, mo- the only thing in life you can actually count on is your character, your health, you could use your wealth, you could use your family, you could lose your freedom, but you never lose your character, even under torture. And that I think, because your character is this little house inside yourself, the shelter, which is really your strength.
1: That's so beautiful and so eloquently put. You talk about character and drawing on, you know, the inspiration of other women. And I've read in the past you talk about your mother and her being such a great inspiration for you. And she survived the Holocaust and concentration camps and instilled in you your positive outlook on life. Can you tell us more about how that came to be? So
2: my mother... uh... I usually tell the story and not say that she's my mother, but she lived in occupied Belgium Mm -hmm. and she was a young woman, 21, 22. And uh, she was uh, working for the resistance. And uh, so she was, you know, going around town with her bicycle and delivering fake papers and things like that. She got arrested. And when she got arrested, she got she was terrified that she would be tortured in order to get the names of, you know, the superiors. And so she said, oh, I know nothing. I am Jewish and I'm just hiding here. And because she was caught in a resistance house. And uh, so she went to the camps. She went to um, Auschwitz. She worked uh, forced labor. She, she was lucky to actually work, otherwise she would have been killed. Mm-hmm. She was working in a bullet factory. And then as the Germans were losing the war, she was moved to, to another camp. There was a famous um, death walk. And she walked there and then she went to Ravensbrück and then to another camp. And eventually 13 months later, she, the German left then the Russian came, everyone was raped. And then the Russian left somehow. And the americans came and when the americans came she was put into a hospital and there she had to fill a form and you know name and where you're from and blah 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 and then it said and the reason i know this is the holocaust museum in dc which you know did a whole research i helped them to raise money over the years. So they did an entire research on both my, on my parents. Wow. And so I got a big box and I got all these incredible documents. And in the, in that questionnaire that my mother filled after she had been released, she wrote her name. And, and then there was a question, um, state of health. And she wrote excellent health. <laughs> he wrote excellent health. She weighed 49 pounds. Oh my she word. could not move. But I love that image because it explains the woman she was. And she went back and she couldn't believe that she survived. Her mother fed her every 10 minutes a little bit, a little bit. Of, and she said she was like, boom, She <laughs> was blowing up like a balloon. Six months later, her fiance came back from uh, Switzerland they got married in november she was released in june uh and the doctor told them you absolutely cannot have a child because if you have a child you won't survive they said to my mother and the child will not be normal and sure enough nine months later i was born and it's a question whether i was normal or not
3: i was going to ask you that question
2: That was the story of my mother. And so my mother was a true miracle. And as a result, I really was a miracle. I came out of nothing, nothing. And I think that that actually had a lot to do with the woman I became after. Also, my mother was very, very tough. You know, she would never allow me to be afraid if I was afraid of the dark. She would put me in a dark closet. Today, she would get arrested. But, but guess what? She made me fearless, you know? Yeah. Fear was not an option. You can never blame, complain, shame. She didn't like any of those words. You had to be responsible for yourself. But on the other hand, she always encouraged me. She never told me to be careful. She always pushed me to go ahead.
1: Wow.
3: Well, and it's it's telling, right, who you became because you are not normal <laughs> and you are fiercely independent. Um, that's something that, you know, I think a lot of women coming of age struggle with in terms of, you know, what they want to be. And what do you think in terms of, you said you didn't want to just be a wife. You wanted to have your own independence. Do you think that was from your mother? And um, what would you advise young women coming of age today?
2: You know, when people ask me what I wanted to do when I grew up, I always say, I didn't know the woman what I was going to do. But I did know the kind of woman I wanted to be. The in-charge umbrella was always over everything, over me, over my brand. And, And then I started to realize that to be in charge could be seen as something aggressive or something against men, whereas it's not at all. To be in charge is first and foremost a commitment to ourselves. It's owning who we are. We own our imperfection, they become our assets. We own our vulnerability and turn it into strength. And uh, so that's what I realized. And the reason I did this book is because I realized that owning it is really the secret to life and could be, um, um, can be work for anything, for your children, you have a flood in your bathroom if you have you're diagnosed I mean whatever it is owning it and accepting the truth and then dealing with it is the secret to life that's
1: amazing you talk about the woman that you knew that you wanted to become and not what you wanted to do but you were such an icon in design what made you start
2: oh it's a long story and uh, the story, of course, is not in this book, but in the other book, the one when I wanted to be. But again, you know, when you start life, for you it was different because you had your, you had your, your destiny, and you knew what you wanted. Like your, mother. for me, any doors could have been my door, and I ended up picking the least glamorous door a door in a factory in a printing plant in italy where i learned everything about printing and uh, and then i went back to america went to america to visit my boyfriend i knew i wanted to come back to america and but i needed an excuse to come back and when i went back to the factory and i saw all of the work there i thought oh i know what i can do I am going to make samples and I'm going to try to sell them in America. And that's how it started. And but in my in my fashion it wasn't the fashion what 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 excites me what inspires me is always the woman. For DBF the woman is first before the fashion. It's about how these little dresses that may look like nothing, how they transform you, how they make you feel. I mean, look, your little black dress to go inside the White House, right? I mean, if you sew it on a hanger, what is that? Doesn't look special. But when you put it on and you wrap it and it automatically takes your body shape all of a sudden you have your own body language. And that means that you become secure and you become confident and your confidence is attractive and it's empowering.
3: Let's get to some of your words in your book because you really do inspire confidence and help us kind of figure out how to focus. So I know we talked about woman and you talked about remembering that the woman is always, you know, each one of us standing across the room. I agree with you wholeheartedly. That woman is the woman who's standing across the room. There's been this um, long history of kind of the notion of competition, right? Right between women or between people in general, how do we transfer from a culture of competition to collaboration as women?
2: It's funny. I have not, I don't know. Did I ever feel competitive towards other women? I mean, I've been competitive at work. Um, I don't know. I, I've never wanted to be someone else Because I think that I'm too superstitious and I would be afraid to be someone else because I don't know the inside story. So I only can control me. So I have to be comfortable with who I am. And that's why I say always my number one advice is the most important relationship in life is the one we have with ourselves. Once we have that, any other relationship is a plus.
1: Have you ever had an opinion or shared an opinion that you felt led to outrage?
2: Well, I like to be provocative. <laughs> I, I definitely like to be provocative. You want me to read you the, the word on provocative? Yes, please. Okay, so, provocative. Provocative is one of my favorite words. I love the sound of it, it tickles. It's a combination of question and affirmation. Nothing is more provocative than speaking the truth and revealing our imperfection. The provocative part gets the attention, but the truth gets the respect. When I first started my company, I was in my early twenties. I did a lot of personal appearances all around the country, LA, Philadelphia, Detroit, Miami, San Francisco. It was all so new and exotic to me. A young European princess coming to town to show her easy, affordable little dresses is how I was introduced by the local press everywhere. I did not love that definition. That's when I decided to become a bit more provocative in my narrative to show that I was not perfect. The words that became mine and the story no longer a fairy tale. Wow. You like that?
1: I do like that. And I like that you encouraged yourself and you pushed yourself to be more provocative, to step out of the narrative that had defined you.
2: I only realized this now that I did that, you know because I but I'm so glad that I did because otherwise you end up being, you know, you read about you and you say, wait a minute, that's that's the perception of the other person. That's how they see you, but that's not me. I'm not that perfect little young princess or married, a, that, that was, that's just an accident. Or that's just a, and uh, so, yes. And basically, if you think about it, it was about owning it, right? I right. wanted to own my own story. I'd rather have my words but be my real words than having than having the interpretation of someone of me what does not mean.
3: well, and in in being provocative, did you ever get yourself into any uh, hot water? Because I know we all kind of have had those experiences. Oh
2: my God, I had scandalous stories. <laughs> I, I, had, I had scandalous um, articles and, and all of that, but um, I mean, they were scandalous in the outside, but, but they were the truth. I'd rather have the truth being scandalous than being boring and dull and not being true.
1: I think that's right.
2: The most important thing is to be true to yourself. And I realized that I, my religion is the truth. And that's what I practice. And that's what it did, it did me good. Because if you speak the truth always, then you don't get, I mean, there's no misunderstanding, and there's all kinds of complications. At least it's at least you're responsible for what you say. But if you say something, that you don't really mean because you want to please or because this, because that, then you say, well, I didn't really mean it. Well, if you didn't really mean it, why did you say it?
3: Well, and and you just talked about how you were a princess. And speaking of royalty and royal families, there is a little bit of a scandal right now going on with the royal family. Have uh, Have you chimed in at all on that?
2: Yes, of course. I watched it. I know Megan. I know him as well, and I thought, uh, um, uh, of course. I mean, I'm not the same. I went, you know, my my the grandmother-in-law was not the Queen of England, but uh, but I thought she was honest. I I thought she was honest, and I like that. She seemed sincere and honest. Maybe clearly, you know, for me who is European, very American and Little Mermaid and all of that. So I can in- understand that that can annoy, you know, the aristocracy and the establishment of, you know, of the royalty, I, I get that, but it doesn't matter. She, wa- she is honest and she says what she feels and that's okay, and he's adorable, and when you watch him, you can't, you can't not help to think of the little boy who was nine years old when his mother died because of the paparazzi, and you, I still remember the little drawing that he left on his mother's grave, I mean, so I, I, I liked it, and
3: you, you write about mother in your book. That's another, uh, that you have in your book. And it says to be a mother is to know how to protect and the best way to protect and to give the child the keys of independence. Right. As I became responsible because I had children, I made them responsible and free right. to be themselves. You know, motherhood has changed so much throughout the years. And and you've seen, you know, every year. Now, Darian and I are maybe in the earlier parts of the journey. As I we said, <laughs> my, son is, my son is nine. <laughs> Darian's daughters are a little younger.
1: They are. They are five and six, if you can imagine.
3: So is there a tip that you would give on how to navigate that fine line of
2: independence and guidance? First of all no matter what your children will always say that you know they will always reproach you of something right so you have to put the guilt aside completely and you have to do what you think is right and the most valuable thing you can give your children is teach them how to take care of themselves right that is the most important thing however you do that that is important they should be responsible of themselves. They should learn that if you do something not good, you pay the consequence and all of that. It should be, ver- be Honesty is the most important thing. Even if the honesty is not always nice, it is better that they know the truth because they will become much more confident if they know you didn't lie to them. That is, that is lying to your child is a crime. A crime, a crime. And even if it's so painful that it's so hard to say the truth, you have to find ways that you can say the truth, but you have to say the truth.
1: Well, you talk about truth and teaching your children to be resilient. And one of the other things you talk about in your book, and you've talked about globally is advocacy. And in the book you say you fight for the good and the bad will disappear. Stand up know, against I like violence. That. I love this. Stand up standing up against violence, abuse, and equality. We must all look for the light and build around it. Finding exactly. empathy inside will help us shift humanity. Talk to me about your philanthropic work. You have, you know, committed to donating half of your fortune to Yeah.
2: But global it's, advocacy. you know, philanthropy. Gets, you know, when I first came to and when I, you know, when I was growing up and I first came to this country, philanthropy was terrifying. It was, I thought of women volunteering in a hospital, you know. And I not that I admire the women who do that, but that's something, not something I could do. I, I just would be so bad and I would think they would kick me out. But it's just like landscaping. I don't know if you've ever landscaped, if you have a garden. I have. At first, at first, you're so shy. You think you need a specialist and you need this and plant the trees. But then you realize that the trees, they're like children. They grow like children. So philanthropy is the same thing. You, it, you get into it as because of circumstances or because something moves you or because of whatever. And then you grow into it. I mean, I never thought that I would be called a philanthropist. and But I do know that now at this stage of my life, the most important thing in my life is to leave an impact. And as much as possible, I mean, we had a a family reunion because we have a family um, um, foundation. And we, I mean, you know, my husband said the most important thing we can do is have a true impact, you know? So for me to, I mean, because I managed to have a voice because of the circumstances of my life, I have a voice, I have experience, I have knowledge, I have uh, uh, connections, I have resources, So to put all of those things that I have in use to help other women be the woman they want to be, that's my task.
3: Well, that is fantastic because uh, I don't know if you noticed, but the words that we have chosen to spell out is woman. We have uh, spelled out uh, through the letters. And the last one is N, which is nuance. We chose nuance from your book. Um, you talk about nuances or subtle shades of anything and everything. To notice and live them is very refined and fun way to experience our life. And you know what we find, having worked in politics up close, um, is there's a world that's super divided and not a lot of nuance. And it's black and white sometimes. And we found that there's actually a lot. A lot of nuance. There's
2: nothing black and white. I mean, between black and white, you have endless shades of gray. That's right. You have light grays, you have dark grays. I mean, it's, 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 and, and nuance is, I forgot I even have that word, but nuance is is key to everything. It from cooking, you know, from choosing the flavor to how you dress or how you say something or how you do your makeup, or anything. I mean, it's 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 the shades of that make it interesting. It's not boom or boom. I find this dividing uh, politics thing absolutely obnoxious. You end up hating for all, everybody. Mm-hmm. Because then why? It's all about how we are together. Look for what, what we have in common and not what we have. Different.
1: That's one of the things that my my mom brought me up on is what joins us, what unites us, is so much more than what divides us, and I appreciate and it's so much more
2: and so much more, so much more.
1: You are absolutely right in that. And we have appreciated this conversation with you today. It's been thank such you. a thrill and it. such a joy. I
2: loved it so much. I really enjoyed meeting you. I think one day I'm going to invite you and do a podcast about you guys. I, I would
1: happily, <laughs> happily join you. Thank you so much, Diane thank von Furstenberg.
2: thank you for your intelligence and your courage and your passion and your tradition. Thank well, you.
1: Thank you. Thank Be you. well.
3: Thanks again to Diane von Furstenberg. We are really grateful to talk to another woman who is making history this month. This week, our POTUS goes to Deb Holland, who is making history as the first Native American Interior Secretary. I cannot express enough how exciting this is, how historic it is, how symbolic it is, because the Interior Department was used as a tool of oppression against America's indigenous peoples for a very long time. So we are really rooting for Deb Holland to take over as Interior Secretary and protect the land that is America's.
1: Amen. And our shadow of the week goes to the queen herself, Beyonce. At this year's Grammys, she was nominated for nine. Grammys, she took home her 28th win, which makes her the most decorated woman in Grammy history. And then Blue Ivy also got one as well, which I think was really sweet. So shout out to them.
0: We are rounding out our final Women Making History series for Women's History Month with the incredible Marnie Levine next week. She's the vice president of Global Partnerships, Business and Corporate Development at Facebook, and is a former COO at Instagram. Marnie's also a friend and former colleague of ours from the White House, where she was chief of staff for the National Economic Council. You don't want to miss this interview, so be sure to subscribe and have a great week.